So here we go then, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. I'm your host as ever, Roscoe. Actually, I'm not normally your host. I'm just in the hot seat at the moment because good old Heafy is on his holidays in Portugal. Hopefully it's all nice and sunny for you, Heafy, because I know you're listening just to, you know, catch up on us and see if I'm behaving in the host chair. Um, I'm joined, though, by two fine gentlemen in Stuart Watson, the Doctor, and Alex Jones, the uh, one half of the Young Guns. And um, we saw a thrilling game at Portman Road, uh, a five-goal thriller. Town coming from two behind to beat Cardiff City. I want to get right into this on this podcast. Of course, KOA uh, is sponsored and proudly sponsored by Manscaped and Ginger Pickle. Shout out to Tony Southgate and the team there for their continued support. Uh, let's bring in Stuart Watson. My friend, always a pleasure. How's things with you? I'm good, thank you, mate. All good. Yeah. All the better for an, another Ipswich win. Just makes these Mondays a bit a bit nicer, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not a blue Monday. It's a happy Monday. And Alex Jones got a nice little smile on his face. Got a nice little cheeky smile. AJ, oh, how I always have to for a day like this. I mean, we're talking about like maybe being a little bit jealous that Mark's kind of jetted off to Portugal. But this weather is beautiful. I think it's going to go up to 30 this week. So I feel like he, he might even be missing out a little bit, you know. Yeah, I don't know what it is like in Portugal. I'm sure it is nice and sunny. He's got a beach. We haven't really got... We've got Felix Stowe. What's closest beach to Cambridge for you, AJ? What's... Probably around that area, because you've got to bear in mind, if I'm going towards the beach and looking at Suffolk, Suffolk and Norfolk yeah, is going to be true. near. So uh, not not really a Cambridge beach, not really a beachy area, not really near the coast, no. to be honest. So probably somewhere around Felix, though, I'd say, yeah. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll find out if we if we head to the beach at some point this week, boys. But anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Comeback Blues um, on the weekend. Um, Stu, we've got a nice little clip from McKenna to sort of tee us up the chat about a different challenge. So let's see what K-Dog, Kieran McKenna, had to say on the different challenge. It's a different type of test for your side today. They seem to be defending a bit deeper, defending the width of the box. When when you went 2-0 down, were you thinking it was going to be difficult to, to find a way through? I, th- I agree. It was it was definitely a difficult, a different type of game and a difficult challenge. I think it's the first time in the Championship, definitely, that somebody's came here and, you know, played a low block against us out of possession and whether that is, you know, paying us a little bit of more respect or maybe just how they wanted to go about the game, but it's the first time that a team of a team have come here and defended on mass numbers behind the ball, and um, that's a big challenge. Of course, we have lots of experience of that from last season, but this is the first time that we've had it in uh, the championship. And of course, then defensively, the players are a bit faster, a bit more athletic. I thought their organisation was good, and probably most importantly, in the first goal in those type of games, you can very easily lose concentration because you feel like the game is just about how you're going to break down the opposition. And if you lose your intensity defensively, then, you know, again, at this level, the quality of the players means you're going to get punished. And that happened for the first goal and the build-up to it, which was the first time that we'd really had to defend in the game. So um, there's a great lesson for us in there. It's obviously always great when you get your lessons and you manage to, to win games as well. Um, there's a great lesson in there for us against, you know, in that first half of the concentration needed playing against a, a low block. Um but with players of, of very, very high quality. Um, having said that, I, I thought we worked the ball well at times in the first half, and I thought you know, we were only ever a yard away from scoring a goal, and I knew that you know, they would tire out, which is a hard approach to do for 90 minutes, and if we kept doing the right things, then we would come stronger in the latter part of the game, and we need to stick patient with that, we need the crowd, and 
the players to all you know keep their belief and stick patient when the team comes with that approach because you, you do get your reward sometimes at the end of the game and of course getting the first goal helped change that momentum but I also felt that you know that would that would play out by the, the nature of um, how the first half was that they would tire more in the second half and, and there would be more opportunities for us these first. There we go. I know that chuckled uh, AJ there, called him K-Dog. I don't know why I called anyone who's in with K or called Kieran, I'll just call him K-Dog. Kieran Stanley at the women's team, Kieran, who's part of the Cowboy Posse, and now Kieran McKenna's got the nickname K-Dog. Um, I, don't, I don't think he'll be happy with that, will he, Stu? He's not a K-Dog, Ross. I'm not no. sure. I don't know if many people <laughs> around him in the Kieran McKenna inner circle are referring to him as K-Dog. K-Mac. K-Mac. I think K-Mac, maybe. That's, mm. that's maybe more... Um, or, you know, Super Kieran McKenna, of course, which is what is chanted in the stadium. But yes, do um, so yeah, reflect on what McKenna said there. A different challenge. Cardiff came here and uh, they did okay that first half. You know, they took the lead and uh, yeah, different challenge for us to take in the championship. I like the idea that, that Kieran would insist on people calling him Super Kieran McKenna. <laughs> Morning, Kieran. I think you'll find it Super Kieran <laughs> yeah. to you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this game reminded me of a lot of the games in League One, really, where teams came to play deep and narrow and frustrate. And it sort of fell into that familiar pattern sort of midway through the first half where Ipswich were having a lot of the ball, not necessarily having it in, in dangerous areas, um, maybe lacked a little bit of, of zip to kind of break Cardiff down. And the difference at this level is that teams are more athletic. They've got more quality. All the things that, that um, Kieran McKenna has just, just said to kind of hurt you on the counter-attack. Um, everything I'd read about Errol Balut was that, you know, they are an organised team that uh, look to hurt you on the counter and, and do well from set pieces. And and so it played out with that opening goal, really. It's just sort of switched off a couple of couple of passes and Cardiff had gone from the right back area to the left wing and and yeah the difference is at this level you've got someone like Aaron Ramsey who arrives late in the box and that was that was a good finish actually better than it probably looked on first uh, inspection he had to sort of wait open up his body and uh, side foot it into the bottom corner um so yeah Ipswich um Ipswich had a Gave themselves work to do yet again um, through some of their some of their own making really less less an individual less an individual error this time but um, more just a sort of a lapse in a lapse in concentration and it could have been two 0 before half time uh, Maite put a, a really good headed chance over from close range yeah and of course before Ramsey's goal they actually had the ball in the net but of course it was offside of course Vaz did a fantastic save and then yeah Carlo Grant was at the back post to score but it was offside um, so they could have been 1-0 up before they went 1-0 up originally so so yeah um, AJ your thoughts on the first half and uh, going 1-0 behind um, you know after the Leeds game we, we, have, we know we can go you know from behind but uh, yeah what's your thoughts on the first half as a whole? I think it was fairly clear that I mean, you could probably say this for most games, but especially when you come up against teams that have a low block, that they really needed to get the early goal. Because you do that and you've got a team like Cardiff whose entire game plan goes out the window because it's to sit in, frustrate and then hit on the counter. And if you go and score early, that then really means that they have to come out with their shell a bit more if they're going to get anything from the game. And if you've got the quality compared to them going forward, which Town really did, 
then you can just pick them off at will, and that's where you can have quite a comfortable victory. But Cardiff did defend well, but really Town should have had the early leads because Nathan Broadhead had a glorious, glorious chance to uh, score. I think it might have been about four minutes in, heads it straight into the gloves of the, the goalkeeper. That was a really frustrating one. And I think as much as it was kind of a, a case of maybe Town not getting into the right areas, they also did have the chances to to find the back of the net before the break because you look at Ladapo came very, very close when he came on as a, a shot that he flashes just wide. And then he sets up, I think it was more of a shot, but he ended up setting up Connor Chaplin, gets played through clean in the box. And it's pretty much easy there just for him to slot into the net. He smacks it straight to the goalkeeper. So it is a case of taking the chances as well because they did get into the right areas to do it. They were frustrated more than they, they were maybe in, in a game against Leeds, for example, who will play more open, expansive football. Um, we maybe have seen that a bit more in the first few games, but it's also not necessarily... Well, as McKenna said, it is a new test, but it's also one that they are familiar with, as we've touched on. Yeah. And Stu, um, a massive... Uh, I don't know how much of a, a game plan would have been changed for McKenna, but of course, George Hurst had to come off injured um, in the 36th minute. And of course, Freddie Dapo came on and we'll get on to him shortly. Big Fred. Ah, oh, what a man. Um, but yeah, George Hurst um, in the starting eleven. of course, missed last week, came into this one, uh, starts. And then, yeah, Sally had to come off. Yeah, the background behind that was that George Hurst was a late fitness test for the Leeds game. They were kind of 50-50 on, on whether he should start that game with an adductor injury in, in the groin area. Um, and they opted not to play in the, in the Leeds game. And so a week later, he hadn't done, he hadn't trained a great deal, had come back into training towards the back end of, of last week. They felt that it was a, on average, a five to seven day injury. He'd had more than that and uh, he should be good to go. So I think the plan was to start him and then maybe take him off midway through the second half, more to do with sort of fitness levels. But obviously he didn't make it that far, 36th minute, um, just felt something in that same area and, and had to come off. Um, he'd had a good chance uh, in the first half when he got put through on goal. I think it was a really good broadhead pass that put him away. Um, and tried to, tried to go with the high finish like he'd done against Sunderland, but the goalkeeper was able to kind of push that up in up into the air and um yeah soon after he, he had to come off um and then interestingly it was freddie ladapo that was the first man turned to on the bench we'd seen sort of jackson ahead of freddie in certain scenarios earlier this season i think um wrongly a lot of people then assumed that that was sort of jackson ahead of ladapo in the pecking order and um some sort of knock on freddie in in terms of doubts about whether he was up to it at championship level. I just think that that was a case of Caden Jackson's pace being better suited to the game scenarios of Stoke needing to come at Ipswich at that stage in the game, which left gaps behind for him to go at. And he was able to, as McKenna spoke about afterwards, Jackson is also able to press centre-halves that want to play out from the back. That was the scenario that required it against Stoke. Um, he then, what game did he start, Caden? Trying to think which match that was. That would have the Leeds game, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course. He then started the Leeds game, which again was a felt like it could be an open game and there was space for Jackson to to play within a team that would want to kind of build from the back. This, as we've discussed, was a was a team that wanted to sit deep and and pack pack areas and make it difficult. 
And that's where Freddie can drop into pockets of space. He's strong. He can he can roll people. He can hold the ball up. He can link the play. So it made sense that he was the one called upon. Obviously, Dane, Dane Scarlett was an option, but had only arrived sort of late in the week. He'd had one training session with the team. Um, so I wasn't too surprised to see Freddie be the one sort of turned to in that scenario. And um, and he obviously justified the, the nod. Yeah, he did indeed. Um, but AJ, second half comes calling and uh, Cardiff, their captain rolls, uh, makes it 2-0. Yeah, one that Luke Wolfen had looked, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, particularly frustrated with. I think maybe it was a little bit harsh. I think the ball comes to, to rules. He has the space to take the shot off. I think the first one's blocked and it comes back to him. And it's such a nice finish, to be fair. Um, I think it's one that Baz maybe sees a little bit late as well, just because there's quite a few bodies ahead of him. So it's, it nestles quite nicely into the corner. I think maybe if he had a better view of it, he probably could have got a hand on it. When you When you look at kind of... The fact that it rolls quite low into the bottom corner. It's one that I think it wasn't coming at all because town started really, really well, but it's one that you just felt could come in a way. I don't know if that makes any sort of sense, but it, it was really a case where town had started that, that second half and they just looked so sharp. They were really doing well exploiting wide areas. But in when you do that and you get everyone behind you, all it takes is one moment and that's when they can hit you. And that is what Cardiff did really well. Um, but as was kind of touched upon a few times, I know that Cardiff don't have the best record at holding these kind of two-goal leads. You look at the, the Leeds game on the opening day, I think there's a couple of other examples in there where they've, they've looked a little bit shaky in those sorts of positions. So I think that's where you then have to, again, like in the Leeds game and, and like we've seen a couple of times, you have to give a huge amount of credit for what they went on to do after that. Yeah. This was, um, sorry, yeah, I mean, you, you say it was a goal that you could see coming. There was a reason why, like you say, Ipswich finished the first half strongly. I thought they started mm. the second half well and, and addressed some of the intensity issues and added that little bit more zip to their attack. But if a goal was going to come, it was going to come down that Ipswich right. Um, Harry Clark wasn't stopping enough crosses, wasn't getting, you know, it happened for the first, it happened for the second as well. It took one one Cardiff pass to kind of take out three Ipswich players. And there, there was a big element of fortune about the, the way he got that second shot off. If you watch it back, the first shot, I think, hits, hits Luongo, pinballs into Morsi, goes back into Luongo again. So he's kind of an element of fortune the way it ends back up at his feet. And and I'm not putting too much on Vaz for that goal because I think he he did the thing that all good attackers do and he used Wolfenden as a bit of a shield and kind of bent the ball around him. And I think you're right, you probably saw it late. But I know a lot of people have talked about sort of Harry Clark not having the best of games and not stopping enough crosses. And and yes, I would, I would agree that he, he needed to get a bit tighter to people. But this was a really lopsided game and this is a continuing theme here. And we know the way kind of Ipswich's fluid setup means that Wes Burns plays very high, which doesn't, I feel for whoever plays at right back, to be honest, for Ipswich, because they just don't get that same sort of defensive cover on, on that side because because Burns is so high up. So um, as much as we're kind of looking at Ipswich's um, frailties down that side, the Cardiff manager... Bulut came off afterwards and was fuming with his left-hand side of the pitch. He, um, you know, he was saying that they needed to do more, particularly down that side. If you look back at the Leeds game, they 
they subbed, obviously Byron had to come off injured in the first half, but then they subbed drama off as, as well, didn't they? So, um, yeah, it, it sort of swings and roundabouts for Ipswich, really. If you're going to ha- have a lot of threat down that right side by gambling on Wes being so high up the pitch, then maybe you have to accept that you're, you're going to have a little bit of vulnerability down down that side as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, AJ, I want to put you back into the press box on Saturday. And how are you feeling when we went 2-0 down? Because, you know, I think someone put the stat up, someone put a clip up. I think it's been it's a long time ago since Town have come back from 2-0 behind. Of course, this is a whole different team, different manager, different ownership. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, where, where were you at when we went 2-0 down? Yeah, I mean, we, we had that discussion in the press room after the game in terms of when it was and whether there was a case in the McKenna era. And I believe, I, I think this might be the right tweet, it's been a lot longer than the McKenna era since it's happened. It's been a number of years. Um, the Barnsley game, wasn't it? The Barnsley game, to, to win, I think it probably is the Barnsley game. Yeah, that mm-hmm. crazy night where Ipswich were 3-0 down, were they, in that game? Oh, yeah. Was it 3-0? Time, yeah. And one came back to win 5-3, <laughs> which basically gave Paul Jewell a stay of execution. Um, remember... Uh, Ibrahima Sonko, kind of a, a comedic clearance off his own post at one stage uh, in that match, sticks in my mind. Um, obviously, they came back from 2-0 down second half of last season against Sheffield Wednesday, didn't they, at Portman Road to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very rare that Ipswich have conceded two goals under McKenna full stop. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. a rarity. I think that was probably the first thing that sprung to mind and it it followed a bit of a, a pattern of what we've seen <clears throat> in this week in terms of when you look at the Leeds game, you look at the, the Reading game, it just felt like maybe a little bit of confidence had dipped out from a kind of defensive perspective. But I think at that point, I was sat in the press box thinking, probably like most people, it was a game that you didn't necessarily see Town getting back into just because of the, the lack of chances that they had, which maybe again might be naive from my perspective. I've not covered this team for as long as uh, you guys have and know the quality there. But when you were looking at it and you were looking at the chances that they had and in terms of how Cardiff were limiting them, I didn't really just see a way back into it, especially with just how Cardiff had set up to go into that game. It it Mm. was more probably them than it was town. And you have to give them a lot of credit for doing that. Um, And I think... At that moment, I was probably thinking more of a kind of how can you be a bit of a devil's advocate in the same way that McKenna would have been after that game and saying, yes, it's frustrating to lose and going to the international break and two on the bounce, but there's still, you know, these positives to take and you go into the international break and you you can focus on the defensive side and learn. Um, That was probably where I was at that particular moment. Um, Even in fairness, when they got the first one back, I was starting to think, oh, you know, it's a big ask. To go in and do that, especially when the you know the first one that they get is an absolute thunderbolt that kind of almost comes from from nothing with how Broadhead gets into the little pocket, absolutely rifles it in, and you're thinking that's fantastic, brilliant, but it's not necessarily Town getting into the right areas to do it. It's not like they've gone and they've carved Cardiff open to 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 get into a really promising area in the box or something like that. Cardiff was still defending really well in that aspect. That's why after that goal, I kind of thought, I, I still don't really see it. But that's, again, when Cardiff's kind of maybe mental fragility that we've seen in the previous games, I think, came into play. I think you're right. The, the Leeds game, even at 3-1, I 
I never gave up hope in that because it just felt like a wide open basketball game. And as as much as Ipswich had had errors at the back, Leeds looked all over the show, didn't they? And um, that second goal before half time was was really coming for Ipswich. In this one, you're right. The way Cardiff was set up at two, when the second goes in straight after half time, you thought that that could that could deflate everybody, deflate the crowd. If another sort of ten minutes had uh, you know, another ten minutes had rolled by, fifteen minutes rolls by, and and it would it felt like it was just going to sort of peter out. Um, when the broadhead goal went in, though, um, the belief did come flooding back for me because I just thought the crowd. Um, it's a team that knows it can score goals. It's a Cardiff side that have lost um, leads recently. Um, and as we've seen, it's an Ipswich side that will go go to the very end um, and has different ways to score goals. So um, that Broadhead moment was was absolutely massive, wasn't it? How often has he been the man that's kind of changed the tide? It, the free kick against Sheffield Wednesday, the game that we've mentioned already, right on half-time. It was him who got the goal right on half-time against Leeds. The Port Vale game was a kind of a one-man turnaround for him last season as well he seems to be the man for big moments especially at Portman Road the majority of his goals seem to have come in front of a, a home crowd and um yeah I think now's probably a good time to listen to the man himself about uh the, the way that goal came about because uh I enjoyed the backstory behind that one. Oh, what segues to yeah AJ spoke to Nathan Broadhead after the game so let's hear from the man who scored an absolute thunderbolt let's do it absolute thunderbolt of a goal from you talk us through that one yeah, I mean, um, I had a free kick before uh, and I hit the wall. I was kind of frustrated about that. And then minutes after, I think I got the ball in the gap uh, in the pocket and kind of let my frustration out on the shot, to be honest. Um, but yeah, thankfully it went in and, you know, it changed the game. Um, yeah. You found that you were able to kind of swing the momentum, didn't you? Because it just felt like after the break, things were starting to open up and you were finding that space to cause damage. Yeah, I think they were kind of tiring towards, uh, towards you know, 60, 70. Uh, letting us kind of get on the ball, uh, find the gaps and stuff. And, you know, I think teams respect us in that in that type of way to play a low block against us. Against us. Um, and we showed second half that we could score goals and we work on it every day to, to try and create chances. So, yeah, I mean, to score three goals second half is uh, a credit to the staff and the, the players. The players. I think there was a, another question asked to um, Nathan Broadhead by another reporter in the room about, um, you know, is he a Cardiff fan? Because, he, of course, he's, he's from Wales. And I think he's got a few friends who are Cardiff um, fans and I'm sure he'd had a few text messages after the game about that that goal and, um, of course, to come back for town. Uh, but, yes, do shall we segue on to Big Fred's um, yeah. headlines, scoring two goals? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not a Cardiff fan, Nathan Broadhead. He said he'd been to watch him a few times growing up, but he's more of a North Wales boy and he's got friends that are Cardiff fans. But Wes Burns was the... Uh, Wes Burns is the proper sort of boyhood Cardiff fan that had been there. He's got a brother who's a long-term season ticket holder. I think had split loyalties going to this one. His parents as, as well, I think, have, have been to lots of Cardiff games over the years. So... Um, yeah, that was uh, obviously a bit of, of Welsh interest around that game. Um, yeah, Big Fred. Big Fred comes on, um, finished the first half strongly and um, two goals that uh, are not going to win any goal of the season awards. Goals that Kieran McKenna described as pleasantly 
uh, what did he call them? Pleasantly scruffy was the, was the uh, description of those. Um, right place at the right time. The ones that, that strikers, good strikers, kind of probably pride themselves on the most, really. Uh, yes, there's an element of fortune about uh, the first one because it's a, it's a low cutback corner that sort of deflects off the the first man at the near post and into his path. But there he has to show good strength to hold off the marker and good accuracy to squeeze it in at the near post. Um, and obviously the, the the winner just comes straight off his face from point blank range, but um, had to be there in the six yard box following up. Um, so yeah, really, really pleased for Freddie because I think um, he's a man who's coming for a bit of, bit of criticism throughout his Ipswich career, um, was written off by quite a few after taking a while to get his first goal, which always weighs on any striker's mind when you go to a new club and don't get one. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, and then last season, once he was starting to finally get his groove for Ipswich, then along comes George Hurst and he was kind of, would have felt hardly, hard hard done by to have kind of lost his place around January time, could have sulked, could have let his head drop, could have felt a bit sorry for himself, didn't, played a really important role off the bench, scoring goals, uh, ended up with a really healthy tally. I think, did he get into, I can't remember what number he ended up on last season, but it was it was a good number, wasn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, again, it's just amazing how short people's memories are. He's, he's kind of got his name in the middle of a of a chant that, that gets sung every week. He's just scored a load of goals in a team that's got promoted. Um, just a few games into this season, quite a few people, again, are writing him off, saying, oh, he's not up to championship level. Oh, he's not getting much game time. He, he'll probably go on, on deadline day. I'd be happy to see him leave. Um, so, yeah, I was I was pleased for him, really, to uh, to to get the goal in midweek and get these two goals here and and remind everybody that, you know, whether you're a regular starter or whether you're a, a squad player that's going to have moments along the way, everybody is a, a valuable valuable contributor to this squad. Yeah, I've just looked back. Yeah, 21 goals last year, Stu. Yeah. So um, that's not bad because they were screaming out of that 20-goal-a-season uh, strike. Of course, Chaplin was scoring the goals, but Ladapa was there as well, invo- getting involved. So... Um, and he's now got three in the last two games. So, um, and a brace to start the championship season for him. So, AJ, um, he's proven his doubt is wrong, isn't he? Um, I'm sure there's still going to be some fans out there thinking, no, okay, yeah, he scored two against Cardiff, but can you score against two, you know, against some of the better teams in the division? But, um, yeah, he, he did really well. Yeah. <clears throat> when you look at that, I think it was 17 in the league last season. Just one of those came from the spot. And I know that he is someone that has quite a strong league one pedigree but that's really good numbers and they can transition really well especially in a side like Ipswich into into the championship um he came on with a point to prove I think we could tell that one because I think as soon as within the first five minutes or so as I mentioned that shot that he flashed wide you could see his real hunger to push forward does it again for the the chaplain chance he was so determined to find the back of the net in that first half, I think he was actually quite disappointed he couldn't come on and have that immediate impact. Um, I again, like Stu said, I, I think it's maybe a little bit kind of harsh on him that he has doubters to prove wrong because I don't think he really deserves it. I really like him, I think he's such a, a good poacher and a really natural finisher. And yeah, you know, there is this whole oh, it's only Cardiff thing, it's still a very good championship side, and it's not always about doing it against 
a Leeds or a Southampton or a Leicester or any of the top top teams in this division. It's not always about that. That's why there are different strikers at this club. Because in most cases, you wouldn't maybe start Caden Jackson against um, against Leeds, for example, over, say, he might have even done it over George Hurst if he was fit. And the reason is, is because it's just having different styles of strikers to suit different kinds of games. It's not always a case of having a first-choice striker and he's the one who starts all the games. And then you have a second and he's the one who'd be the natural replacement. And then a third and a fourth. It's about having these kind of different moulds that suit different games. You're not going to go and play a Caden Jackson who looks in, to some people like being the, the backup for Hurst in a game like the uh, Cardiff one, as you mentioned, because it wouldn't work tactically. Freddie was perfect because all you needed to do was feed him the chance and he'd put it in the back of the net. And that's really how they got back into it. And that's the kind of striker that Ladapo is. It's not the kind of striker, as we've seen quite often, that Jackson is because he's one that maybe gets into the space and doesn't have the, the finish to, to make it count. So that's where you need to have a real different balance and a different kind of flavour of strike because it's not necessarily about different qualities. I think that they're all fairly similar in, in terms of the, the quality that they bring. It's just the different skill sets that are really being useful for town. I don't know what it is with Freddie that sort of makes him a bit of a Marmite figure with, with fans. It, I think any of these players that have that sort of loping, languid running style <laughs> that Freddie has, I think can wrongly lead to the opinion that he, that they're lazy or they don't work hard enough. Um, I think Freddie puts in a decent shift. I don't think you can... He might be not like Caden that's charging down every every goalkeeper and centre-half and Hurst sort of is, is sort of is of a similar mould, but he's he's different because he drops into different, you know, he's more of a link player. He drops in. I think he can facilitate others around him as well. Um, as Alex says, it's just having different different qualities for different situations. That's why they've added Dane Scarlett as well, who's a different type of player. We haven't seen him yet in an Ipswich shirt because he didn't come on, but I think he's going to be more of one that runs at people. It's a bit like he's probably replaced Kyle Edwards in a way as someone that can maybe come on in a scenario that just adds a bit of X factor, someone that can just go one V one and beat someone with a trick and, and do something out of nowhere in the, in the way sort of Nathan Broadhead can as, as well. Um, so yeah, different types of players for different, different situations, because as we've already seen in five games into the championship, there's different, different challenges every week that require different types of players. And, and that's why McKenna has been very careful to kind of add different attributes to his armoury. This is quite a big thing for him, I think, in terms of a lot of what I've heard from him and in terms of the players is this thing. He says, it's not about, oh, you're not good enough in this area. You need to improve doing this. This is how you become a more well-rounded striker. That's not the approach he takes. It's this is your strong point and this is what we're going to make sure that you're the, the perfect player for. He doesn't look at a Caden Jackson and say, your finishing isn't good enough. He says, you're a really good runner. You're the fastest player here. We're going to use that. And that's yeah. where the different skill set, that's the view he has. And I think, especially when you've got a squad like Towns, when you've also got four strikers now in, this, in the team, that's the perfect kind of view to have on it. It's not about necessarily improving their all-round games, because other than that, you don't have kind of these different specialities. You that's have great man management, of, isn't it? Yeah. You have this different chain of identical players where you want players that have characteristics that stand out. 
Yeah, and that's such an easy then becomes an easier sell to those that aren't in the team because you're saying to them, we'll need you at some point because, Caden Jackson, you might go four or five games with, with barely featuring, but you are the fastest player, not only in this club, but you are the fastest player in this division. And he says it publicly. Um, and that makes them feel 10 foot tall. Look back to Caden Jackson saying that he made me feel like a footballer again. He stopped telling me what I wasn't good at. And he told me what I am good at. And it's the same through them all. You know, you can be telling Lee Evans, I know you're probably frustrated you're not playing, but I tell you, when your chance comes, no one can hit a 50-yard pass like you. No one can hit a ground pass like you did for Reading the other week that led to the goal. And he'll go through several of them that aren't in the team and be telling them, um, Freddie as well, that, you you know, there are scenarios that require your special skill set. Just be ready because when, when the right opposition comes, when the right game scenario comes, we'll need you. And um, that's what's created this really sort of great bond between this group of players, because I don't think anyone feels like they're better than others, um, that they've all got a role to play, that they're all contributing to this. And um, I, I think and I hope that the fan base are really kind of buying into that, not sort of writing certain players off just just enjoy them all for for what they are at this moment in time um we've already had a good chat around transfer deadline day and the window we recorded that late on friday night so it's best for people to kind of listen listen back to that but um i think the sort of the general summary from us there was that there will come a point in time where which will naturally want to upgrade certain players in this squad but um for now let's let's enjoy the players that are here and the role that they're playing and um and uh yeah not not be clamoring to kind of improve and evolve too quickly overnight because um this squad's something got something special about it at the moment i think yeah definitely and um shall we discuss some other talking points from the games um shall we talk about this man that's key talk about him uh super vaz um of course got another special special mention for the czech goalkeeper because uh made some cracking saves once again in this game from start to finish um because the game wasn't just done yet was it we, we still had 12 minutes plus out of time um Stu, but vaz up again with some great saves yeah that that brilliant one-handed save that alex referenced earlier that was i think it was nil nil at that stage wasn't it um close range header from a corner um second half was 2-2 I think at that stage where he pulls off a, a really good double stop with his legs and then and then up to turn the, the rebound shot away uh, and then right at the death um, when Ipswich were trying to see out the, the win flung himself bravely at, at where the boots were flying in in the box to to claim the ball as well um, really good response from him after being at fault for definitely one arguably two goals in the Leeds game um, he has filled the boots of Christian Walton very well at the start of this season. Uh, very good with the ball at his feet and his distribution. We know that, but um, he's pulled off some big saves at big moments. You can go back through Sunderland right at the death. QPR's made some big saves as well. Stoke uh, had to come up with saves at, at important moments, even when Ipswich were controlling that game. So, um yeah, very very pleased for Vaz because he's had to be he's had to be patient and wait for his chance during his, his two and a bit years at the club. Yeah, I'm sure he's another player that McKenna has sort of said 
you know, we rate you highly. You know, Walton is just, he's just a great goalkeeper in League One. He's, you know, championship got injured and he's come straight in and he's done really well, Vaz. So, um, yeah, fair play to him. Um, Alex, shall we talk about a man? I think me and you have spoke about so many times since he signed because um, yeah, he was frustrating in some of the games, had some bright sparks. And I'm sure you know who we were talking about. And that is Amari Hutchison, who, um, of course, was another good substitution, um, came on, make the difference, of course, set up well. Would he get would he get the assist for the Labdapo goal? It wouldn't because it hit the defender and it hit Labdapo's face. So he probably won't get the assist for that, or would he? Mm. I don't know. Stu, do you have any input on that? I'm not sure whether he'd get the assist there. Who decided? Who I don't know if officially. Does it go to like a panel? Do you have like some EFL bodies <laughs> yeah. that just like sit around the screen and decide whether dubious has... assist panel? Um, yeah, I'm. I I think that's an assist because if he doesn't yeah. do that, the Ipswich don't score a goal. Yeah. It's um, whether whether he officially gets it or not. He gets it on this podcast. He has a um, a KOA assist, a yeah, KOA branded assist. Yeah. Uh, first thing I want to have you got your um, Bladke, uh flashcards that your girlfriend made? Oh, I don't actually. <laughs> he has yeah. these. He has these flashcards, and there was there another pronunciation on there as well. I can't remember. Uh, as about a uh, Tuzamba, I can't that now. Axel Twanzebe. Oh, Twanzebe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There oh, you go. Just, yeah. So the the Ross branded flashcards will be coming into like it's not the first w. time though. It's not actually w. Not just been, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not yeah. the first time someone's done this for me. There's been a few comments in on our YouTube and other things of like Ross, just you know, just yeah, bracket up and then just do it. You know, slowly. I liked just, your yeah. um your pre worded cards for the predictions pod. That was great. You're pre done. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, uh, Amari Hutchinson. Let's go back to that one finally. Um, he definitely has some frustrating moments about him, and I think maybe that's a little bit what to expect for a player that has only ever played in Premier League academies, aside from his little spell at Charlton, because you're just in this pool of superstars, and in a way, that's probably kind of how he sees himself to an extent and how a lot of people will see him because it, it really is where your your head will be at a top six academy in the Premier League. You then maybe get a little bit of a wake up and it's what he needed and I think it's what everyone could see and what probably he knew that he needed as well. A bit of a kind of a, a wake up call in a way when you then come into the Football League and you, you come into the Championship where you don't come up against the same kind of defenders. You're not coming up against players of your own age. You're going to be 18, 19, someone who's been taught how to do flicks and tricks and skills, and you're going to be coming up against a 35-year-old centre-back with 15 years of experience at this level. It's a very different and very unique experience for him. And I think there has been a bit of a learning curve when you look at a lot of the time he gets into these really good areas and his decision-making is not there. And that's to be expected because he has the ability He's really good at taking on this man. He cuts back. Um, either he'll do it one too many times and he'll lose possession or, or the cross might not be good enough as well. We've spoken a bit about how he's a very left-footed player. Um, and it's often been a case where it happens, you know, two, three, four times in a row and fans think, oh, come on, you know, you've just got to cut back and cross, be more direct. This is the championship. It's not, you know, Premier League 2 football where you get to kind of showcase a lot of these skills that you've learned. One thing that he did do quite well that, that Stu picked up on on Saturday was that he's um, getting to a point maybe where he ends up doing something, the same kind of thing, one or two times, maybe a few more. And then when the defender thinks, ah, he's a bit of a one-trick pony, this kid, he's, he's just a, another Premier League lad with one, one skill up his sleeve, that's when he can mix it up a little bit more. Um, it's just maybe about 
doing that a little bit earlier in the game and cutting out those frustrations. But when he gets into the right moments and, and has the, the right opportunities and makes the right decisions, and that will become more natural to him, his quality and his delivery is so good. It's really some of the best in this team. It's really, really top quality. Yeah. Um, well, any other business from the game then, boys? Um, of course, the Blues saw it out, got the win. Um, happy days, come back complete. Uh, but I want to mention um, an absolute beast of a tackle from Sam Morsey, which is in Stuart Watson's wheelhouse. I'm sure we'll see that on the eight side pitch tonight, Stu. Um, luckily, I'm on Stu's team, so it won't be happening to me. It'll be happening to one of those enemies on the other team. Um, but yeah, Stu, Sam Morsey, of course, got injured. He had to come off as well, but that was a, what a tackle. Yeah, not just him as well. There was they really were throwing their bodies on the line. That collective desire to see that result out at three-two, um, crunching challenge from the captain, wasn't it? On uh, Siopis in midfield, a proper fifty-fifty where the ball ran loose. Um, sadly for him, he stretched his hamstring in the process and had to come off. I know there was. Uh, some conspiracy theories that he might have been milking it a little bit just to to run down the clock, um, but. That looked like he genuinely hurt himself in, in that one. And um, hopefully it's just a bit of a tweak of the hamstring and, and he's okay to go away with Egypt because um, I know how much that, that means to him. He's waited a long time. Very proud of his Egyptian heritage. Um, his father's from Cairo and, and, and had it tough growing up. Um, and he's waited a long time for this recall. 2018, the last time he was in the squad and he believes he can he can get in and... and um, and play international football uh, again. So hopefully he can he can go away with them. They didn't know the, the full um, extent of that injury straight after the game, of course. Um, so we'll see how he is. But going back to Hutchinson, um, my early impressions of him was that he might be a bit bit of a show pony, but of uh, he's um, He's impressed me with his work rate off the ball as well, actually. He's not afraid to get stuck in. And he played his part not only in setting up um, the winner with, with that bit of skill, but he, he also then did his work off the ball as well. And he, he was chucking himself into a few tackles and getting back and getting stuck in. So that was good to see from a, a young Premier League low knee. Um, I think it was, was it Lee Evans that also threw himself into a tackle late on it. Um, so, yeah, the way they saw it out was great. And um, the way the substitutes all played their part, we've talked about Freddie, we've talked about Hutchinson. I thought Jack Taylor had another really bright cameo and injected some much-needed energy into the, to the middle of the pitch. Morsi and Luongo, we've been waxing lyrical about after the first few games of the season, weren't as good as a duo against Leeds, weren't as good in, and dominant in this match. So is Jack Taylor kind of knocking on the door? I think... Morsi and Luongo have got more than enough credit in the bank um, at the moment, but it's just a reminder that Ipswich have got got some some depth there. Um, he's certainly someone, I think we talked about what McKenna will be telling players what they're good at. Jack Taylor looks like he's got a goal goal or two from outside the box in him. He's not afraid to shoot and he's, he's done that a few times for Peterborough in the past. Um, and Brandon Williams came on and played his part. It was his, it was his ball up the line for Hutchinson which led to the winner. Um, and yeah, after after a difficult start to life at Ipswich with the with the Leeds goal, with the uh with the own goal at Reading, um, that's a reminder, as we've said before, that you, you can't completely judge people on their first few minutes in in a shirt. He's um 
I, th- I thought he did well when he came on as well. So for all the talk about Ipswich not doing enough in the transfer market, um, they look like they've got some good options in most in most positions now. Squad depth, boy. Squad depth. And of course, Dane Scarlett didn't even come on. So there we go. So, you know, if he came on at some stage, that would have been good as well. But, uh, but yeah. Um, well, boys, shall we move on? Um, from the game against Cardiff, comeback blues, which we love to see. Um, but I want to actually ask you, I gave maybe a controversial 10 out of 10 on the casserole on the um, game day media scran rating because I, I loved it. Um, some people are saying it's beef, but I, 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 I was told it was pork. Can you clarify for me, boys? It was pork, weren't it? Uh, yes. So people went, they were commenting, that's beef for us. So I was like, no, it's, I was told it's pork and it tastes like pork. So it's pork, but did you like it? I was a fan. Yeah, I think maybe tens pushing it. Uh, it was hot pot. Yeah, so yeah. Wrong. I was it. Oh, okay. I don't know. It was. It was very nice. So I. I don't know. That's what I got um, told. Right. That's what I got told. We'll just. I remember your conversations that you had before trying to figure out what meat was in the food, and you got told sent down about a. a about four or five different things where you actually figured out. No, what it you're was, right. It wasn't so. pork, was it? It was lamb hot pot. I thought it was lamb. Yeah, but I was a little bit worried of saying this because you suddenly agreed with him, and I was like, oh, No, that threw me there because Ross said beef and then pork, and then it, I thought it was, I was a lamb all over the place. It's a lamb hot pot, Ross. I got yeah. asked when I came I back. I I got asked when I came back, and my mum was like, Oh yeah, what what was it this time? What was the bit? I think because she she heard the pod bit where where Ross got confused with the meats before, and she's like, Did he get it right this time? And I went, No, because it was a lamb hot pot. <laughs> Just... And when you said it was pork, I I had this embarrassing moment. I was thinking, Oh, she's going to listen. No, no, it's gonna... it was definitely oh, lamb. No. Ross okay, just good. threw me because he was just throwing names of anim- names of meat around. I mean, he could just give Ross anything, but a horse, and he wouldn't know, would he? <laughs> Some nice chicken. Yeah, they, they, they all taste the same, don't they? They all taste the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, but I've completely got it wrong anyway. But I got I get told these things, and oh, maybe I'm just too gullible. And but yeah, but anyway. Um, International solid, break, boys. solid seven for me, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'd go down that route. I think nothing has topped the um, the chili that I think we got for was that the first home game? I know it might not have been. It might have been the Bristol Rovers Cup game, but we got some very nice chili at one of the games with nachos and sour cream. That that was the best one for me. I'm hoping that makes a comeback soon. Yeah, they they do they, they rotate it, don't they? Eventually, mm. they rotate it, so we'll get that shortly. Um, now. Boys, it's time to reflect on Town's opening start to the championship. Five games in, and we're second in the league. Preston, who we beat in pre-season, who looked rubbish, are top. Fair play to them. Will Keane scoring the goals for them. Of course, formerly off his parish of Itchwich Town. But yes, do. How do you look back at Town's um, five-game start and uh, sitting second with Preston in top? Yeah, you're right about Preston. I was very surprised about them. They didn't didn't look prepared at all. Um, their manager agreed in the latter stages of pre-season, so I would never have had them pegged top. Um, we'd have all taken this, wouldn't we? Before a ball was kicked, four wins from five. Um, all of the games have been fine margins. You could you could argue that other games could have tipped other ways. Sunderland's. We're on the ropes early doors. We're on the ropes at the end of the game, but did win the game. QPR 
rode their luck a bit at times in, in that match, but were able to get a, a late goal and win it. Stoke's probably been the most sort of comprehensive performance, hasn't it? Um, but yeah, we hoped that they would be competitive. We hoped that they would be a top half side and how that would sort of shake out, we wouldn't know and still remains to be seen, but so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good indeed. Um, AJ, your thoughts then? Open five games, as you as Stu said, you will take that from the kickoff of um, the first Sunderland game, you know, start the season. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking at the table right now. Middlesbrough are bottom, <laughs> which is just mad to see. Um, mm. And there's some other teams who are surprising as well. Yeah, I was about to go through and have a look at that. I think there's some who've really impressed. I think that Birmingham, for starters, obviously with a, a bit more money and a bit more of a bounce, probably less expected still. But you, you look at them, Hull as well, given that they looked pretty poor last season. When I when I saw them, I wasn't too impressed. Others doing really well, Plymouth looking sharp. Um, and then towards the, the bottom end, I think most of us expected teams like Sheffield Wednesday, less with Swansea. Uh, Watford towards the bottom there, Leeds 15th, couldn't get past Sheffield Wednesday at home. Um, so it's one of those where maybe, you know, we're not going to look at uh, the town in this situation, but things often iron themselves out after a while. You look at Middlesbrough, for example, last season, I think up until October, they were in the relegation zone, it left to Chris Wilder being sacked. Um, and that's when they brought in Michael Carrick, who took them to almost ended up getting automatic promotion in the end. They were pretty close and just got pipped up by Sheffield United. It is a league where things do iron themselves out. When you look at town in this case, it isn't really a one where you feel like they're out of place where they are. And I'm not saying that they're, they're going to be um, second come May, but when you look at the performances and the wins that they've had, you don't look at any of that and think, wow, they're overperforming massively based on you know the way that they're playing the results aren't justified. They're really standing toe-to-toe and, and doing better than these established championship sides. And I also think that it's important to remember that these championship sides don't come up against Ipswich thinking they're a promoted League One team. I think that these are championship teams like Stoke, like Cardiff, who come to Portman Road and think we're in for a challenge and they play like it is a challenge and they still don't win the game. And that's where... Maybe with Plymouth, for example, they're a team that come up and a few more teams think, oh, you know, these are players that were in League One last season. It, it's not maybe the same challenge, and that's where teams like them can spring surprises. I don't think that there's this mentality around town. When you look at what they were predicted to do, I've seen as high as third and not much lower than about ninth or tenth in the predictions across the board before the start of the season. Um, so to really be matching what the external expectations are given how high the external expectations were that's absolutely huge and maintaining that or not i don't think that this team's going to drop too far august is a strange month to kind of assess things obviously with the transfer mm. window and things you could argue that ipswich ran into leeds at the worst possible time with them um, you know it was the one game where luis sinistera comes back in from the fold, and then he's he's gone to Bournemouth after that. Um, but then on the flip side of that, you could argue that you've played Stoke at a good time because they've they've signed. I don't know if they got close to the nineteen that Ipswich signed. I think they must be up there now, aren't they? I think they were fifteen. Plus. 
Um, so they're in the kind of bedding in, gelling process. Um, maybe it's which caught them at a good time. So everything's all kind of settling down a little bit in August. And that's where, and I keep talking about stability isn't sexy, but that's where stability kind of helps with Ipswich. Same manager, same group of players were able to kind of hit the ground running after a, uh, a pre-season that wasn't too disrupted at all. So I think that's helped Ipswich get off to a good start. And good starts can lead to, to good things. I think they, they put some foundations for the season ahead. It's good that you're not kind of chasing your tail too much early on. Um, I think a few people have pointed out that 12 points, it took Ipswich until the middle of December the last time they were in the championship to uh, to get to that tally. Obviously, ended up getting relegated. So, um, yeah, they've, uh, they've put themselves in a nice position Again, people have pointed out what the, the points tally required to finish in the playoffs last season wasn't that high. And if uh, an Ipswich have made a, a pretty sizable dent in that already, you're in a nice position now where, um, you know, they don't they don't need, they can just tick along on with, with the points and, and and hopefully still be in with a, with a chance because they will drop points along the way. There's no doubt about it. They're, they're, as we've said, there are games that could have gone the other way. And there will be occasions where they do tip the other way um, at some stage. But um, yeah, 12 points in the bank is a, is a nice place to be. I think the awareness about that is quite important that maybe people don't look at this August run and think, OK, so Town are going to go into most of the months for the rest of the season. The expectation is going to be that they win four or five games. Because you look at December, for example, is always the one that stands out to me. That is brutal because you'd expect Middlesbrough to improve. They're going to play Leeds. They play teams like Watford. Those are really going to be tough Leicester. tests. Leicester on Boxing Day. Uh, and you look at February as well, the travel that comes into there. I think it's both Wales teams and Plymouth, in at least in that little chunk. I don't know if they're all February. These are going to be games where town will drop points. They, there will probably be games where they end up going winless for, for two, three, four. It, it's not out of the equation. We've got Norwich in December as well, actually. Oh, God. Yeah. They're not, you know, you can't rule out these kind of runs. They will have them. They will have dips. Um, especially this comes in the championship. You know, this is not going to be like League One, where, I mean, even the League One town had dips, but this was still a, a team that blew League One away. You don't often have that. Even the Leicester side, I don't think, who, who everyone's kind of predicting to finish top, they're not going to have. They're going to have hard runs. I think that they could drop points at, and there'll be teams like Leeds who've done the same. And it will be the same for Town. I've, I've seen this firsthand with Millwall last year where they managed to kind of have a, a steady stream. And then right at the end, they had a winless run of about five or six games that ended up costing them the playoffs. These things are part and parcel of football. It's also maybe to an extent about when you have them. If they end up going into December winning one game then hopefully we know which one that would be if, they, if that is the case um it's not the end of the world because there's no reason why they can't then have a factory reset and go again in january and february and then have the opposite like i've seen with millwall and like a lot of other clubs have had in the championship it can't sway too much one or the other and i think the fans definitely have to be aware of that especially in the championship it's a long old season boys <laughs> a long old season and uh international break has arrived and um now this is something new for us too it's been a while hasn't it i know in league one we did have a few times because you know paul lambert used to love just going yep 
Oh, we've got a few under twenty ones. Yeah, we can miss this game because yeah, we, we can't we can't lose Dobro, we can't lose El Mazzuni. I think it was Downs as well, Dazelle playing under twenty ones as well at that point. But this time we've got a lot of international players going out on break. But is is this a good time for the club to have a break with a few injuries and stuff like that? I think so. Yeah. Obviously, it's disappointing that we're all enjoying the football and um, goals galore, attacking football. That's the the first thing I'd say is like they're enjoyable to watch as well. Like there'll be times where like the Leeds game where it goes against them, but it's value for money, you know. It's uh, it, which has for a long, long time was not the case at Portman Road, was it? When you know in the latter stages of of the Championship before. Um, What's the question? Sorry, I got sidetracked there. <laughs> is it a good time? You know, because yeah, yeah. uh, yes, I think so because Ipswich have put a lot, a hell of a lot of effort into these first five games. They've had a really tough preseason, um, double headers, um, blazing hot temperatures over in in Austria. They've worked hard. Uh, we've heard about them being shown the, the running stats of Burnley last season and what's required physically to be competitive in the championship. They've worked really hard on getting themselves ultra fit. And I think we've seen in the latter stages of games, some evidence of that. Um, as you say, a few little knocks and niggles just coming into it. We've had Genoi Danassian with a, with a groin injury. We've had Hurst now, um, Morsi at the end of the game on, on Saturday, um, a chance to recover, rest, and then, work on a few of these things you know the goals against is obviously something that they're going to be looking at getting that balance right between being an attacking force but maybe being a little bit tighter at the break so um i think this as much as we've all been enjoying this and the the instinct is to think keep riding the momentum i think this is not a bad little time just to take a breather yeah aj and of course we've got a lot of players on international duty as well um because uh, a lot of our players are doing so well um mm-hmm. you know we mentioned sam Morsey with egypt um, we've got Wes Burns and Nathan Broadhead for Wales. Uh, Kieran Slicker, you know, under 21s, but he's been called up as well. Cameron Burgess, of course, you know, with Australia, which is good. I think he's heading to Dallas. Um, I think they're Ooh. playing Mexico, um, Australia, so that would be good. Um, have I missed anybody else? Is there anybody else who has been called up? Elkin, of course, yeah. um, for Indonesia. Dane Scarlett, the new signing for England. Um, so I think that's everybody. So there's a, a lot going out. But uh, yeah, I'm sure Cameron Burgess is going to enjoy it. His first call up for the for because he's played for Scotland before, but of course he's mm. now picked Australia because he's he moved over there when he was younger and then all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, exciting times for him. Yeah, he's deserved it. He's been a real physical presence. We talk about the balance that he has with Luke Wolfenden quite a lot. Luke Wolfenden may be the slightly more technical, more laid back defender, and um, yeah, Burgess being a bit more rough and ready to get stuck in there a bit more it works really well and it's fully deserved I, I think it's a great international team to come into I think there's also a lot of hype around the Australian team when you look at um I mean you look at what they had with the women there when they hosted it they had absolutely ridiculous numbers of fans like a hundred thousand watching some of their games I know they went quite deep into it but really nice for him um and really nice as I said it, it's nice on a a personal level for McKenna to kind of watch how these players have developed. I think he touched on Burgess as one of them that when he came in, he didn't play at all. He was one of the few in that squad that didn't play at all in the first kind of few weeks and months that that McKenna was there. So to see him fight his way back into the team become a really crucial part of this team in the championship and then 
go on to play at international level for a good team and one that will compete at uh, international tournaments, yeah, mainly due to kind of the area that they're in and the, the qualifying that they have, but are still a really well-backed and, and really strong side international level to get called into that is really impressive for someone that didn't really maybe look to have a future at town a few years ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, boys, get, get into the hour now, but I'm going to put you on the spot um, because I've just come across this. Um, of course, the club have their... They get supporters the vote for their player of the month August, and they've got Sam Morsey, Vaz, Connor Chaplin, Leif Davis nominated for the award. Who are you picking? Stu, who, who deserves it for this month? Um, there's a lot of players who could be part of that nominated list as well because um, everyone's sort of been involved in these... Um, five championship games but yeah who, who's your your vote uh, I love Leif Davis I think he's almost gone under the radar a little bit with his high levels of consistency and I, I, he's destined for the Premier League um, with or without Ipswich no doubt about it but I for this month Vaz good choice and I think AJ is gonna yeah I was gonna agree with that um I, I will stick with it. I'm, I want to talk about Ethan Broadhead a little bit as well, because I think in terms of the quality that he has, granted he hasn't had the, the situation like Vaz, and I think that that's why he would deserve it for me as well, because he he wasn't expected to play a single championship game, it, probably even across the whole season, uh, and he's now been thrown straight in at the deep end. And his saves and his performances and the way that he plays out from the back, his distribution he just feels like he's been the number one for such a long time in a town team that we can't forget has been very, very set and very settled in the last few seasons. So I think that's why he'd get my vote as well. But I think Nathan Broadhead runs him close just in terms of goal output, even though a couple of them haven't necessarily been, you know, the most amazing. He probably has got a goal of the season contender in him for the Cardiff one, but you can just see his quality on the ball, his movement, how lethal he can be that's where I just think he gives Town something else in the final third. He's such a unique player. I think Town are lucky to have him. We've spoken about the circumstances there before, but he's such a, a quality player. And if he gets to the levels as well where he can maintain his ability for the full 90, I don't think he's quite there yet in doing that. I think he has these kind of little bursts in games. But if he can maintain that for longer periods within games, this guy's going to be hitting goals for fun in the next few months. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because he played the full night, of course, against Cardiff. But uh, mm. yeah, he, I think it just had to because other players had to come off and all that. It's just in terms stuff. of kind of managing his level because sometimes yeah. I think he gets kind of swept along mm-hmm. a little bit when things get a little bit tough. But then he has like the moment, for example, that he spoke about in terms of smashing the free kick wide, gets fired up and rattles one of the roof <laughs> in there. If he can have those kind of levels of performances for... 80 minutes rather than 60 to 70, then that's when you're going to have someone who's really standing up at the top of this division. Definitely. Um, well, boys, any other business? I've got some business to to talk about, but um, any business from you boys? No business. What's your business? Uh, well, there was another game, of course, on the weekend, which saw a lot of goals as well. <laughs> and that, of course, was the Tractor Girls. Um, they won 7-1 against Plymouth um, and some... Uh, a debut double for new signing Lena Gunning-Williams. Natasha Thomas got off the mark with two goals as well. So Pesca, who is, by the way, if you haven't seen her play, she is just unbelievable. She scored two goals as well, uh, running right against Plymouth. Um, and yeah, a very good win 
as they make it three straight wins start their season. Better start to their their season from last year because last year they didn't have a good start, but this year they're they're showing they do have got the business and they've got two games to come this week because they've got hashtag in the week on Wednesday. Uh, they travel down Essex and then they go to Milton Keynes to take on um, the Dons at the Stadium MK. So two games for them. So um, if you need your football fix, it's just town women's team have got games. So um, go out and I think there's going to be a supporters coach for the, um, the women's team game um, on Sunday at Stadium MK. So if you fancy that, uh, get in contact with the supporters group. But yeah, Joshi inside starting their season with a win. Uh, Tom Can has done a report for us and also spoke to Natasha Thomas and Joe Sheehan after the game. So you can check out that online. And uh, me and Blue Wilson could be recording a Track the Girls Talk podcast as chat about the game. So um, check that out shortly. Um, so there we go then, boys. Um, no game for us this weekend. What's your plan, Stu? You got anything planned on Saturday? Just a, a rare Saturday off from your, your wife and daughter must be thinking, oh, you no no game? Yeah, it's my wife's birthday coming up actually, so so the timing of it has, has gone quite well. So we'll we'll go out for something to eat and have a few little family days out. I think is the plan. Sounds good. AJ, yourself, um, you, you've had, you've been it's been busy for you since you started, and uh, now it's a, a a Saturday where you can have a, a nice little chillax. I'm sure. Yeah, a chance to relax, spend some time with the family. I think my girlfriend's starting a PGC and teaching next weekend. Next weekend, next week on on Monday. So it'd be nice to spend some time with her before she has to really go focus on that for a little while. Uh, weather's nice, isn't it? As well, I know I touched on that at the start, but when we're hitting those thirty degree numbers, that's when you want to go be outside. Of it um i think as well when you look at the september to october fixture run it'll be nice to have a little bit of a rest before then because those games come thick and fast and there's going to be a lot of travel yeah indeed boys well um it's been a pleasure to host this once again as hefe is relaxing in portugal hope you've enjoyed listening gaffer and um i've done you proud uh, hopefully i've done everyone proud as well um dude i'm gonna let you take over I'm proud of you the Thank you, thank you, Stu. Thank you, thank you. I've I've, I've grown into a, um, a capable um, young man, um, and uh, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to let you lead the way with the sponsors because I think you probably do that a bit better than me. So uh, take that away. Oh, okay. Yeah. You've thrown that on me. Uh, we are so, sponsored, proudly sponsored, as you rightly said at the very start, by Manscaped. You know the drill with Manscaped by now. All of your your grooming needs, not just below the waist. Uh, above the neck as well. They'll do your beard trimmers. They'll do your ear trimmers, nose trimmers, the works. Good stuff from Manscaped. Uh, 20% off with the code KOA. And also ginger pickle. If you want your... What's the phrase? If you want your... Ginger pickle. If you want your picker... Yeah. Yeah, I've lost it, Ross. I was yeah. going quite well there. Ginger pickle for all your SEO needs. I don't really know what that means still, but... Um, for those of you out there that have websites and businesses and need a little bit of help with your digital marketing, uh, Tony Southgate at Ginger Pickle is your man. Check them out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Tony. He actually sponsored um, the Itchers Town Women's game against Plymouth. Um, so I saw good old Tony in the flesh repping his Ginger Pickle shirt. We've not got the jumpers on at the moment because um, it's too hot. It's too hot. I don't wear a jumper in the summer. Um, but yeah. Shout out to the, to our sponsors, and of course, um, if you haven't already, um, give us a five star review. Share your thoughts on maybe my hosting skills, um, AJ's start to life at Kaway, which has been pretty good. Young Guns and Co. 
and all that sort of stuff. Um, there'll be no more flagship podcast this week um, because there's not really much else to talk about. Um, if something does happen, we may come back. But if not, we'll chat to you next week. So hope you have a good week. We'll bring you a nice mailbag special. We haven't done one of those for a while. So we'll bring you that. And Heath will be back as well. So we'll find out how his holiday was and all that jazz. So yeah, have a good week, ladies and gentlemen. Stu, AJ, thanks for joining me. And uh, bye-bye for now.